Psalms 106. That's page 641 in the Pew Bible. Psalms 106. We're going to read the entire psalm. Now, here at Grace, we have a, a tradition that we've fallen into that when we finish um, speaking uh, from the um, from the pulpit in a service, we say, this is the word of the Lord, and we say, thanks be to God. Um, respectfully, we're going to mix it up a little bit today. Um, what, so what we'll do is we'll follow the, we'll, we'll, we'll go follow the lead of scripture. So spoiler alert, the last verse of the psalm has an instruction to the Lord's people, and we're going to do that instead. I'll try to give you a cue, but um, I think we can do it. Psalms 106. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I might look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words, and they sang his praise. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. Fire also broke out among their company, and flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Then they despised the, the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. Then they yoked themselves to Baal of Por, and ate sacrifices offered to, to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stayed. And that was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation forever. 
they angered him at the waters of Mirabah. And it went ill with Moses on their account before they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the people as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to idols in Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them to the hand of the nations so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjugation under their power. Many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He called them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. morning. To any visitor who might not know who I am, I'm Rob Wilson. I'm usually up here leading worship or... uh, making some noise in my horn in the front. Um, Pastor Dave gave me the privilege today to, to study the word and, and share it with you folks. And I, I w- say welcome to all the visitors, including mom and dad in the back there. Um, at Thanksgiving time, everyone was saying that uh, I should get a pair of glasses. So mom and dad, I did. And I admit that uh, they will be beneficial today. Though... Uh, your suggestion for a short sermon. I don't know if I can quite come up with that that one. I'll do my best. So at, at this time of year, uh, many of us make New Year's resolutions. Um, and I highly recommend the resolution that Jamie Theobald suggested last night. And that was to read through the Bible this year. The sermon that I'm doing um, is a result of, of that. Um, uh, admittedly, uh, well, about two years ago, I, I started reading through the Bible, and admittedly, in two years, I'm just still finishing the Old Testament. I think I'm on the four- to five-year-old, five-year plan. Um, but in reading the Old Testament, um, I noticed in the story of God bringing his people from Egypt uh, to the land of Canaan that he kept warning them against idol, idolatry. Uh, that the land of Canaan was filled with idols, uh, yet the nation seemed to repeatedly fall into idolatry. And it got me thinking about our lives. We don't hear much about idols these days, at least in our culture here. We don't see people routinely bowing down to, to statues. And in our secular world, uh, evolutionary-minded uh, people 
supposedly don't claim to, to believe in deities unless that individual is facing death and then they start praying. Uh, but so in this culture, in this modern age of enlightenment, um, have we truly moved away from idols? And when I, and I look at our world and read the scriptures, I'd say not in the least. Um, idols are all over. And this is the reason uh, I believe that God put the story of the nation of Israel and its long-standing affair with idols in the Bible for us to learn about. So before we go move on to our main text of Psalm 106, I wanted to, to look at Isaiah 44, 14 through 17. Some of you may want to open up to that. Verse 14 says, he cuts down cedars, or he chooses a cypress tree, or an oak, and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a cedar, and the rain nourishes it. Then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes part of it and warms himself and kindles a fire and bakes bread. He also makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. Over the half he eats meat. He roasts it and is satisfied. Also, he warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays and says, Deliver me, for you are my god. You can see from this passage the blatant foolishness of idolatry. Isaiah is almost making fun at the idol worshiper. For how can a block of wood save you? But there are more things than blocks of wood that we bow down to. Before we move to our main scripture, I want to put out a definition for an idol. Simply put, an idol is anything that becomes more important to us than God. Idolatry is disordered love and disordered worship. My sermon today has three parts. First, I want to look at the idolatry throughout the history of Old Testament is Israel. And Psalm 106 is a good summary of that. Second, I want to look at idolatry in America today. And third, I want to look at idolatry in the Church of America today. So the text for our sermon uh, today is from Psalm 106. And I would encourage you all you, if you ha have closed your Bibles, to open it back up and read along with me. There is a lot in this psalm, and I don't want any of you falling asleep. You hear that back in the Wilson pew, no snoring. And boys, uh, read the scriptures and take notes. Uh, you can suck on the mints that Kathy Johnson has probably given you back there, but just pay attention. And the mints only become an idol when you begin fighting over them during the sermon. Guess I'm not back there to give my normal pep talk. Let's move on to Psalm 106. It is the second of a pair of psalms that tell the history of the nation of Israel. These psalms were likely used for worship by the Jews who had just returned to Israel from exile in Persia and Babylon. Psalm 105 focuses 
on God's faithfulness and recounts the story of Israel from Abraham to Egypt. Psalm 106 describes the sinfulness of Israel, recounts the story of Israel from Exodus to the Babylonian captivity. So here we go, Psalm 106. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare his praise? Idolatry would be wrong just for the simple fact that God made us and that he is the sovereign ruler over the universe. We owe everything to him. But what makes idolatry particularly horrid is the fact that our God is so good and loves us so much. Idolatry is a disordered worship and disordered love, for all our worship and love belongs to God. Continuing on to verse 3. Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. The psalmist here is asking God for salvation, to make him part of the covenant people who reign with the Messiah forever in his new kingdom. Let's continue on to verse 6. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. This verse applies to all of us. Every generation sins. Every generation struggles with idolatry. Moving on to verse 7. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your works, your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his namesake, that he might make his mighty power, his mighty power, yeah, known. Do you remember when we studied Exodus 14? Earlier this year, Pharaoh's army had trapped the Israelites on the shore uh, by the Red Sea. The Israelites panicked. They shouted to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? To what were the Israelites looking at that moment? Their circumstances or their God? We often forget God when we focus on our problems and circumstances. Israel's sin that was repeated over and over again was to forget the Lord's wondrous works and salvation in the past and then to rebel against him. If you're taking notes, you might want to write down these two words, forget and rebel, because they repeatedly come up in this psalm. If you forget to read your Bible, if you forget to spend time in prayer, if you forget to join the people of God in corporate worship, don't be surprised if you find yourself rebelling against God by worshiping something else. Another thing to notice from verse 8 that repeatedly comes up in the psalm is how the Lord repeatedly has mercy on his people and saves them. Continuing to verse 9. He rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the water, waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. 
Though it would be prideful for us to seek our own glory, it is right and good for God to seek his own glory and for people to give glory to God. It puts things in the right order, in the right relationship. Creation praising its creator and sustainer. Idolatry is taking the glory and worship which belongs to God and giving it to something or someone else. God made known his mighty power by saving his people from the Egyptians in such a miraculous way through the Red Sea. And look what happened, as it says in verse 12. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. Unfortunately, verse 13 goes on to say, but they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. Here we go again, forgetfulness. Life is full of times in which God says wait, but we are often impatient and let our desires convince us that we cannot live with only what God has currently provided. Essentially, we begin to tell God that he is not enough. Our eyes see something or our hearts dream of something that we believe will truly satisfy us. Our minds start to dwell on this new desire and we start to forget God. This is idolatry. Verse 14 reads, But they had a wanton craving in the desert, in the wilderness. They put God to the test in the desert. This verse references Numbers 11, when the Israelites were tired of eating manna and craved meat. So how did God respond to their craving and complaining? Verse 15 says, He gave them what they asked but sent a wasting disease among them. How often God punishes us by giving us what we want. A story from my own life. Um, years ago, I got the crazy idea that I needed a second backup combine. A custom harvester down the road had one, so why shouldn't I? Uh, now, most of you would probably be smart enough to realize that you can only drive one combine at a time. I, I ended up getting a second combine. God granted it to me. Uh, and uh, not long after that, that summer, I, I ended up crashing it in an accident out in Sparta. I ended up spending the entire summer rebuilding it. And then as if God were saying, you want a backup combine? You are now going to need a backup combine. My good one blew its engine that fall. So needless to say, my love for Combines dwindled significantly that year. Getting back to the story of Israel, we come to verse 16. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened up and swallowed up Dathan and covered up the company of Abimaram. Fire broke out in their company and the flame burned up the wicked. These verses speak of the rebellion led by a man named Korah, that is recorded in Numbers 16. Jealousy and covetousness are straight paths towards idolatry, the idol of pride and self. We move on to the next disaster in Israel history, verse 19. They made a calf in Horeb and worshiped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their savior who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. 
These verses speak of the outright egregious idolatry at the foot of Mount Sinai while the nation was waiting for Moses to come off the mountain with the Ten Commandments, which, as we well know from Dave's recent sermons, contained two commandments against worshiping and making idols. I guess he didn't get down in time. This event is recorded in Exodus 32 and Deuteronomy 9, and is particularly horrid because these people had all seen the miracles in Egypt. They had been saved through the Red Sea. They had been given water out of a rock in the desert, and that morning they had eaten manna provided by God in the desert. Yet, they so quickly turned to idols when Moses wasn't there to watch him. Note God's reaction now in verse 23. Therefore, he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. At this point, God was livid at the idolatrous sin of Israel and ready to destroy them. Deuteronomy 9.13 records that the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. But Moses pleaded for God to have mercy on Aaron and the people because of the covenant he had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so God relented. We need men like Moses today to intercede for our world. Moving to verse 24. Then they despised the pleasant land. Having no faith in his promise, they murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. Therefore he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. This section refers to the sad story of the Israelites freaking out at the spies' report of giants in the land of Canaan, resulting in that generation not entering the promised land. For time's sake, I'm going to continue on to verse 28. Then they yoked themselves to Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. They provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. This is the second reference to blatant idol worship in this passage. It happened while the Israelites were camped near Moab. The daughters of Moab began to invite the Israelite men to join them in sacrificing to their god Baal at Peor and to commit adultery with them. This is why a Christian should never marry or even date an unbeliever. They will surely lead you away from Christ and to idolatry. Continuing on, verse 30. Then Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stayed, and that was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation forever. Because of their idolatry and adultery, God sent a plague on the nation, killing 24,000 people. That's in Numbers 25. The whole thing came to a head when an Israelite man brought a Moabite woman right through the middle of the Israelite congregation while they were meeting. On his way to his tent to lie with her, Phinehas, the grandson of Aaron, outraged at this brazen sin, 
took a spear, followed the couple to their tent, and drove the spear through the both of them. At this, the Lord stopped the plague. Moving on to verse 32. They angered him at the waters of Meribah, and it went ill with Moses on their account, for they made his spirit bitter, and he spoke rashly with his lips. Once again, the Israelites came to a place with no drinking water and complained and Moses, to Moses and the Lord, as recorded in Numbers 20. This time their sin spread to Moses, and he angrily struck the rock twice and sinned. Now we come to a section of this psalm that refers to the sins of Israel from the time they started moving into the land of Canaan until they were taken off into Syria and Babylon to captivity. Verse 34 says, They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them. Often the first step towards idolatry is failing to completely obey the Lord. We see this demonstrated in verse 35. But they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. God commanded Israel to destroy the people living in Canaan, both because it was the just punishment for the idolatry and sin of these nations, and because the Lord knew that the Canaanite people would tempt Israel into sin, and they did. Verse 36 goes on to describe what happened. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. We see here the egregious nature of the sin caused by idolatry. Fathers and mothers naturally love their children with a love God put in their hearts that is so great that parents will almost instinctively die to defend their children. Yet we see in these verses that parents were pouring out the innocent blood of their sons and daughters for idols. How can this be? The answer is in verse 37. The Israelites and Canaanites were not just worshiping inanimate statues. They were worshiping demons who had cast strong delusions over these parents, causing them to do the unthinkable. Now let's think about God's reaction to this. Our Lord is the defender of the defenseless, the most compassionate being in the universe, whose heart is always going out to the hurting and brokenhearted. The Lord carefully and lovingly weaves together every little child in his or her mother's womb and puts his seal on them by creating them in his own image, declaring each child to be of immeasurable worth because they are made in the image of God. Knowing this, what do you think the Lord felt when he saw his chosen people, whom the Lord had vowed to love, just outright reject the Lord as Lord, chase after idols devised by demons, and kill the precious gift of a child that the Lord had instructed these Israelite parents to protect. The Lord was angry. He was more than angry. As a parent myself, it makes my blood boil. We read in verses 39 through 40, Thus they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. 
Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hands of the nations, so that they who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. It says the Lord, Lord abhorred, abhorred his people. Was it just the killing of the children? Like that isn't enough. No, verse 39 says that the Israelites played the whore in their deeds. God uses the language of adultery to describe idolatry. These were God's covenant people whom he had saved and loved and cared for over and over again. They knew God and had experienced his goodness, and yet they still rejected him. I want to pause now from Psalm 106, from the story of Old Testament Israel, and move on to our modern age. This time of year is common for us to turn on the radio and hear a recap of top news stories of the past year. One that is very prominent in our minds right now is the horrific attack on October 7th mounted against modern-day Israel by Hamas terrorists. These men, at least in part, claim to be motivated by Islam. Allah is not Yahweh. Who are the powers behind Islam? Uh, Islam? Demons and the devil. It is clear to see um, to all those who God has opened their eyes. The devil is the father of lies and has been a murderer from the start. Islam claims that Jesus is not God, a lie that is bent on keeping people out of heaven. Islamic Jihad is a murderous affair. Yet, I am sure Islamic zeal was not their only or maybe even their main motive, for there are plenty of peaceful Muslims around the world. These terrorists were full of hatred for the Jews, and hatred and a dream of forcing the Jews out of Palestine can themselves become very great idols. So what was the fruit of this modern-day idol worship? Like Psalm 106 says, the pouring out of innocent blood. The watching world saw this horrific display as Hamas terrorists ripped babies from their mother's arms and killed them, even burning some up in ovens. Is this not eerily similar to the child sacrifices of Canaanite gods? My intent is not to focus on modern-day Israel at this point, but now to move to modern-day America, our beloved United States. Our culture has rejected God, though there is ample evidence to know that there is a God from the natural world around us. Our culture has made an idol out of the scientifically flawed theory of evolution so that they can claim that there is not a God. Romans 1.19 says, better put my glasses back on, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse Watson Crick, um, who was awarded the Nobel Prize for discovering 
DNA. He started out his career as a scientist, uh, as an atheist. Now, I, I think he lived his whole life as an atheist, but uh, one of his motivating reasons for becoming a scientist was dis to disprove religion, Christianity. But the amazing complexity of DNA, which he studied, caused him to declare absolutely that there is no way that DNA, which is the building block of every cell in our bodies, that DNA could never have come about by the random chance process that the theory of evolution claims. The natural world is far more complex than Darwin ever imagined. Yet, even Francis Crick, who, who proved essentially by his work on DNA that evolution doesn't work, still wouldn't admit that there's a God. He and many other science, scientists now proposed that life on Earth was just brought here by another planet. Essentially, aliens brought it. This just reminds me of the further verses in Romans 1, continuing in verse 21. The Bible states that, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Having untethered the moral basis of life from the truth of God's word, many in our culture today are having trouble defining what evil is. Many don't even believe in evil because our culture teaches that truth is whatever you want it to be. It is relative. This is why so many on college campuses today are having trouble condemning the Hamas terrorists for killing innocent babies. Our country is so deceived right now because of its idolatry. The average American on the street would certainly condemn the killing of innocent babies by Hamas, but they would also say that Americans in this country where we champion civil rights and equality for all races and sexes, that we would never think of killing innocent babies. How is it that thousands upon thousands of unborn babies are killed by abortion in the US every year? It is because of idol worship. Two of the great modern idols in Western culture today are personal autonomy and sexual freedom. It is interesting to note that the idols, uh, Marduk, that's from Babylon, Astra, note the reference of Astra poles throughout the Old Testament, and Baal, all included prostitution as part of their worship. And the gods Dagon, that's of the Philistines, Moloch of the Ammonites, and Marduk, all required child sacrifice. The modern gods of personal autonomy and sexual freedom both demand the casting off of sexual restraints and the equal right for a woman to be as non-pregnant as a man, which means both gods of personal autonomy and sexual freedom require a woman's right to an abortion. In other words, both require the sacrifice of an unborn child. One might wonder how one of the major political parties in the United States could be championing the unrestricted killing of unborn babies with a religious fervor. It's idol worship that has been fueled by 
dynamic deceptions. So how does this make God feel? We read in Psalm 106.40 that God abhorred his people for their idol worship and the shedding of innocent blood. So how do you think the Lord sees the United States right now? Do you think that he is going to let us go on in unbridled prosperity? Remember verses 40 through 42 in Psalm 106. Then the Lord, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hand of the nations so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Is this going to happen to our country? Are we like the nation of Israel going to be overtaken by another nation? I don't know. I hope instead that we are like the city of Nineveh, that when the prophet Jonah preached uh, repentance there, the nation repented and God relented, postponing his judgment. There is no mention of the United States of America in end times prophecy. Unlike the nation of Israel, the United States is not a covenant nation. It just has been a nation that God has greatly used to further the gospel spread and to help protect the nation of Israel. We really need to pray for our country and spread the gospel. I want to now move on to the church in the United States. As part of the church, we are part of God's covenant people. Galatians 3, 7 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. The United States of America may or may not be around at the end of the age, but the true believers within the United States will be, and we will live with Christ forever as part of the new kingdom, which he will set up here on earth. Like the Israelites in the land of Canaan, those of us in the American church are living in the land of idols. Unlike the nation of Israel, we are not called to destroy the unbelieving people around us but rather to be salt and light in a pagan culture and evangelize our neighbors. Unlike most of the Jews in Old Testament times, true Christians have the Holy Spirit of God residing in our hearts, freeing us from the slavery to sin and protecting us from the lies of demons. But we too can fall prey to idolatry, and we all do at times. As long as we abide in Christ, remember the analogy of Jesus being the vine and we the branches I think that's in John 15 as long as we as long as we abide in Christ we are generally okay and it's when we start to drift from Christ that we get into trouble we take our eyes off Jesus and focus on a problem a person or a desire that naturally dwells in our flesh and then we find ourselves in idolatry it is good to take notice where your mind most commonly wanders when you have a momentary break in the day. It is good, a good practice to regularly look at your checkbook and your calendar and to note the things on which you spend most of your time and money. These checks may help you identify things in your li life which could be potential idols. We can make idols of almost anything. 
At times in my life, I have made idols out of farming, combining, my trumpet, accomplishment. People have made idols out of even ministry and worship, common things that can become idols for us include careers, sports, our body image, food, hobbies, social media, video games, and other technology, the pursuit of fame and celebrity status, money and material things, and relationships of all types. Personal identity has become a big idol in our day to the point where race and personal pronouns are flaunted. Our identity should be solely in Christ. The idols of personal autonomy and even sexual freedom that I spoke of earlier have shamefully crept into many churches. I remember back in the COVID years how quickly people within our church demanded that they weren't going to wear a mask. Personally, I hate masks and never want to wear one again. I think I'd rather get COVID. But we should be aware when you find ourselves being very quick to defend our own rights. For the attitude of Christ was to give up his rights to provide for our needs. You see, as part of the church, we are covenanted to be the bride of Christ. In the terms of Hebrew marriage, you could say that we are betrothed to Christ. As it was for the nation of Israel, idolatry for the Christian is committing adultery against our Lord. He should be our very first love, even above family, spouse, and children. Beware all you singles who believe that you will find your ultimate satisfaction in a spouse someday. Only Christ can meet your deepest needs. If you aren't satisfied in Christ as a single, you won't be satisfied when you get married. If, you, if Christ is your first love before you marry, you will enjoy your husband or wife more, and they will enjoy you more. All good gifts are from God, and they are only good if we love the giver more than the gift. This is true even of the gift of life itself. Jesus told his followers in Matthew 10, 37 through 39, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Why should we love Jesus this much? Because he loved us so much that he died on the cross to pay for our sins. He gave everything for us so that if we simply trust in him, admit our sins and repent, that we have eternal life, that we get to spend eternity in Christ's love with him, in a love that we, as of yet, can only begin to imagine. So how should we as Christians in America respond to the idolatry idolatrous culture in which we live? What is the solution? I believe we should respond uh, as the Apostle Paul did in Athens. In Acts 17, 16, we read that, Now Paul, while 
Uh, now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, and he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. We need to have eyes to notice idols, the idols that are all around us. We need to have hearts that break for all those who are deceived and trapped in the deadly emptiness of idolatry. We need to engage our culture as Paul did, not cursing the darkness, but rather shining the light of the gospel. We need to go where they are, which is not usually going to be in a church. We need to remember that we can't debate people into the kingdom of heaven. In today's culture, people don't care about the truth you are telling them until they know how much you care. We must reach them with the love of Christ. Lastly, we must pray like we never have before. We need men and women like Moses to intercede for our nation before God. For our world is getting darker and the eyes and hearts of those trapped in idolatry can only be opened by the Lord himself.